Pastor Benji's going to come at this time and have our reading for the morning. The um, spiritual call to worship today is from, or scriptural call to worship is what I meant to say, is in Psalm 8, uh, one of David's psalms just declaring the majesty and glory of God's creation. You know, I think sometimes we often take God's creations for granted. And as I read this and I thought about, David must have been, you can picture him sitting on a mountaintop looking at a sunset or maybe on a moonless night looking at all of the stars when he wrote this because apparently he was just overwhelmed with the glory of God's creation and the blessing that it is to us to be able to experience that in our life here on earth. So just think of that as I read. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Who has displayed thy splendor in above the heavens? From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, thou hast established strength because of thine adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou, hast take, thou dost take thought of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God, and dost crown him with glory and majesty. Thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands, Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Father, we thank you for creation that we have the blessing to enjoy and experience. Um, may we, like David, be in awe of what you have created. And it gives us uh, a challenge to be responsible to take care of your creation. Uh, may we fulfill that responsibility uh, as you call us to do that. We thank you for, for your blessing of creation and the blessing of your word. And may you just speak to us not only through your creation, but through your word today. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. We'll stand, we'll sing, Ferris, Lord Jesus, together.
Dear gracious Heavenly Father God, Lord, thank you um, for just hymnology that tells a story through each verse, God. Lord, you are brighter and purer than all of the above, God. And we just worship you this morning through praise and songs, God. And Lord, you are, you are so worthy, um, yet we are so unworthy, God, for you to love us, yet you do so greatly, God. Lord, thank you for just allowing us to come into this house and worship and fellowship together as believers, God. And Lord, may we continue to worship you through our time of study um, and prayer, God. And may you speak clearly to us from the book of Luke this morning through Pastor Neil, God. Lord, we pray for our children who are headed to Children's Church, God. And we just pray that you move in this place this morning and that your will be done in each one of our lives, God. We just love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated, and children are going Miss Bond to Children's Church. Okay, amen. We are grateful this morning to be here and to have opportunity to worship again. Thank you, Catherine, who is no longer Catherine Warren, but now she is Catherine Moody. Welcome back, Catherine and Russ. Uh, the honeymoon is literally over, so... Let real life begin, right? All right, Luke 19 is our passage this morning. Working our way through Luke's good news. And today we have Christ as the King. He is the King who is blessed above all. Through Him this universe was created out of nothing. And through Him this universe is sustained. And my life and your life sustained. And all of life is to be lived under the authority and the rule of Christ the King. Normally, uh, this is a passage we would be working through on Palm Sunday in the spring. But we find ourselves here in mid-July talking about Palm Sunday. So let's remember that Christ is King over all. He is King at all times, in all places, in all ways. So... Luke's gospel is going to pick up in chapter 19. Let's, let's read verse 27, though, which is where we finished last Sunday, and let's connect it to what happens uh, beginning in verse 28. Jesus, this whole gospel, has been on a journey to Jerusalem. That has been the destination. It has been the destiny uh, set before him. And so Luke's gospel is pointed that way. And so this morning he arrives into Jerusalem and we learn so much about Christ and who he is and why he's here and what he is going to accomplish. So in 1927, 1927, not the year but the verse, look at how Jesus concluded the, the parable last week where a nobleman went on a journey. And remember, there were people who said, we do not want this person to reign over us. We do not want him to run our lives. We want to run our own lives. We want to be in control. Then Jesus concluded his teaching with verse 27, and, and it reminds us of the holiness and the severity and the judgment of God as king. The en these enemies, I'm in 1927, but these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them. This is for those who will not accept Christ as king. Bring them here, slay them in my presence. Verse ended. So in verse 28, we pick up with our text this morning. After he said these things, he was going on ahead ascending to Jerusalem. It came about that when he approached Beth Hodge and Bethany, near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, in which you enter. You will find a colt tied there, on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. So there's this colt that no one's ever ridden, tied there, and Jesus says, bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Thus you shall speak, quote, the Lord has need of it. 
And those who were sent went away. And they found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, What are you doing, right? Well, not quite. Verse 33, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And so they brought it to Jesus. They threw their garments on the colt, and then they put Jesus on the colt. And as he was going, they were spreading their garments in the road. And we know from the other Gospels, they were also waving palm branches, right? And as he was now approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen. All the miracles that Christ had done led them to worship and praise him joyfully and loudly, saying, quote, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Well, some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus said to them, I tell you, if, if these become silent, the stones, the rocks will cry out. And when he approached, he had to go further to be able to look over the city of Jerusalem. So he saw the city and he wept over the city, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes, for the day shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground. This whole city will be leveled to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And he goes further. He enters the temple. And he began to cast out those who were selling, saying to them, quote, It is written, and my house shall be a house of prayer. But you, you've made it a robber's den. So he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests and the scribes and the leading men among the people were trying to destroy him. They were trying to destroy him. But they could not find anything that they might do, for all the people were hanging upon his words. We'll stop there. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you already, as Benji mentioned, for creation, which speaks of your beauty and your majesty and your glory and also your word. What a special revelation your word is to our minds and our hearts, telling us exactly who our creator is and what he's done for us. As Luke says, Lord, may we, your people, hang on every word today so that we would be totally submissive to your lordship in our lives. Forgive us, Father, for going our own way and thinking our own thoughts and desiring to control and manipulate our own Lives instead, Father, humble us, break us, submit us to you so that true peace and true glory and true joy may be found. Thank you for the path of the King. He has opened the way so that each of us by faith may follow into his road, his journey, his way through the cross, the resurrection and eternal life and all the glory that is to come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's think today about Christ the King and how blessed is the King. He is the King. Not only is He Savior, not only is He sacrificial in love, He is King and Lord over the universe. And that's something that you and I don't think through, I think, uh, quite enough. Now our culture overuses that phrase, the King. I mean, we have a place called Burger King, right? There's a place called the Magic Kingdom. 
You can go see a movie out currently that talks about Elvis the King. Remember that? In basketball, there's King James, LeBron James, right? Did I already mention the Magic Kingdom? Did I say that already? Okay. So we've, we've got these titles and these phrases that remind us that to be king means to be above the rest. It, it implies power and it impli- implies authority and it implies royalty. So to call something or someone kingly is, is a big deal. But here this morning in our passage in Luke, we have... Christ the King, who is totally unique. He's totally authoritative over the whole universe. And there is no king like our King Jesus. And part of that is displayed on the fact that he rode a colt, a donkey, that had never been ridden before. Now something interesting has happened on my dad's farm. There's a, there's a stray donkey running around in his pastures right now. I met him yesterday for the first time. I thought, well, there's a sermon illustration right here in my lap. And this donkey, stranger to me, comes over to our gator where me and dad and kids are in the back. He comes over there and he acts like he wants to nibble something out of my hand. I have nothing to give him. And I thought to myself, I may come back and get to know this guy a little more and possibly give him some apples or some corn, but there's no way I would try to ride this thing right now without us ever having met. Now what's interesting is that in this story, in the small details, just the small details, we see a lot of the glory that is Jesus our King. Now what I want us to notice today is that our King Jesus is blessed in the following ways. He's blessed in his preparation. All right. He's also blessed in his processional. And guess what? All these start with P. And he's blessed in his passion. His preparation his processional, and his passion. One thing that's always amazed me about this story is the preparation that we see had taken place in advance to set up this obvious and intentional royal king riding into God's city, Jerusalem. There's a message just in the preparation that had gone into this. It proves that God is sovereign, that God is in control. You've got the fulfillment of several Old Testament passages, which prove to me from the book of Zechariah and and the Psalms especially, and Psalm 8 connects, and there are other connections that all of this, this very moment of Jesus riding into Jerusalem, was ordained by God from eternity past, and God is the master of every single detail in the universe, and he knows about it ahead of time. He goes before us, and he prepares the way, and it all unfolds just as he tells them. Now, Luke's gospel has a couple of other examples of this. Just as he told us, It all happened just as he told us. Remember the shepherds at the birth of Jesus? The Bible says in Luke that they came back saying, it all unfolded just as he told us it would. Later on, Jesus is going to prepare ahead of time the Passover, and he tells them exactly what to do, what details to follow. And it says the disciples go and do it. And lo and behold, it unfolded exactly as he told them it would. What is it about me and you that forgets that God is the absolute king of the universe and God in Christ has ordained every moment, every circumstance, every situation. And and here we are at times anxious and fearful because we forget, listen... I made a note to myself. 
God has a plan. And this plan is ultimately good. So follow the plan. We see in the king's preparation that Jesus is following the plan. He knows what's before him in Jerusalem. His disciples are beginning to trust and follow the plan. They don't know all that's coming, but they're trusting and growing in their own faith. But I think what Luke is reminding us of is something that John says in his gospel. Here's what Jesus told his disciples to prepare them for everything that was coming. He says, now I have told you before it comes to pass, so that when it comes to pass, you may believe. I'm going to tell you in advance what's going to happen, and then after it happens, you're going to look back, and your faith in me is going to grow. So rather than fear, rather than anxiety and panic, which all of us struggle with because of the unknowns, We lean upon Him, we look to Him, we obey Him, we trust Him, remembering that He is King over everything, and He's gone before us, and He's making a way. Now, this past week, Bennett and I played one of our favorite games, Monopoly. But this version was not Monopoly, it's Dogopoly, which is based around the University of Georgia and Athens and all those things. But I'm going to drop those references and put in the references that most of us are familiar with because we're playing Dogopoly and Bennett is absolutely crushing me. He's getting more money and I'm getting less. He's owning more properties and I'm dropping properties like crazy. And he owns Boardwalk and Park Place. And so every time I roll my dice and circle around the corner that he owns, I'm terrified. (laughs) My confidence is dropping. His confidence is growing. Man, he's rolling those dice totally in charge. No fear. Why? He owns everything. (laughs) And I'm rolling the dice counting, please don't let it be a seven. Please don't let it be a six, because if I get a six or seven, I'm going to land on Boardwalk or Park Place. I'm going to lose everything, and if I lose everything, not only is he going to get to talk, but I have to clean up the mess, you know? Then it dawned on me that if you really do own everything, and if you're in charge of the universe, there's no need to panic. There's no need to fear. And if we really believe this and we say that our Father owns the universe, then there's no need for fear in us either. There's no need for panic in us either. But this morning, the Whittemore's car alarm went off just a few minutes ago. We don't know why. Judy handed me her keys. I look at her keys and there's a panic button. I hit the panic button. It got louder and quicker. (laughs) I made things worse. (laughs) And then I'm panicking even more. (laughs) How do we figure this out? And eventually I hit it again and it all shuts off. But I had in my notes this morning this quote from Corey Tim Boom. There is no panic in heaven. Only plans. There's no panic in heaven. Isn't it interesting that as the king comes in, look at what Luke says. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, at his birth, Luke declared peace on earth. And here as he goes to die, he declares peace In heaven. What a blessing. Why? Because the saving work that God had ordained and planned and prepared for is unfolding clearly and powerfully, even though it's in contrast to how we would think things should go. It's unfolding according to God's will. There is no panic in heaven. There's only peace. And if you and I will trust and believe and connect by faith, 
to the will of heaven, you and I will experience peace and security and confidence as well. Remembering that, hey, everything on, on the surface might, be, might appear to be falling apart as my game unfolded with Bennett, but our Heavenly Father owns it all. Every colt, every donkey, every circumstance, every passage of Scripture, every particular detail. He is the blessed King in His preparation. And as we look out at life, God, God has a plan. It's good. Trust that plan. My grandmother put it like this. When I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of concern moving from Georgia to North Carolina, after I had graduated college, I was going to start seminary. I had no idea what God had for me in my future, and I ended up here today. <laughs> I still remember what she said when I left. Very simple, but very profound. The same God up there is the same God here. He's going to take care of you. What season of life are you in? What's ahead for you? There's a lot that's unknown. But you can look at this story of the king and know that God has already gone before you and he has prepared the way. Our king is blessed in his preparation because it's perfect, it's sovereign, it's good. I must move on. The second emphasis I want to look at this morning in this text is his processional. This is a royal parade. This is an intentional processional. Now, what is a processional? We had one last weekend at a wedding. And here comes the bride. <laughs> you have the processional march and Catherine the bride comes down the aisle. Later this month, Ellie's going to have a processional. It's a big deal. Everybody stands at attention. The rule is all eyes on the bride. So that's my moment as a pastor to get my notes ready. <laughs> because everybody's supposed to be looking at her. This is the king's processional. And in this procession, it is a moment in which our eyes and our hearts are to be attentive on who he is and where he is going and what is about to unfold in Jerusalem. So let's just think about why is he riding this colt? Why are people taking off their garments and putting their garments on the ground and waving these branches and they're putting their, their, their clothes on, on this donkey so that he can ride? What is God telling us about this king that's unique and different in his processional from other kings and other people and other lords? Because again, this is a cult on which no one else has sat. But if you and I were either Pharisees or pilgrims to Jerusalem, one thing would be clear. Whether we liked it or not, Jesus would be declaring that he is the Messiah who fulfills all the Old Testament promises of, the, of, of what the Messiah would be. Now, it obviously angered the Pharisees because they are thinking to themselves, wait, you can't do that. You cannot allow these pilgrims and these children and these people, you cannot allow them to say Hosanna to the king unless you really are the king. Rebuke them. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Why? Because he knows that he is the king. And so the parable we looked at last week, which talked about how they thought, many thought that he was going to be one type of king, which would be, an earthly king, a political king, a powerful king where he comes in with this huge entourage and this powerful movement and they walk into Jerusalem and they take over and they drive out the Romans and they set up a king and they set up a castle and they rule in the here and now. Wait a second. I don't think based on this processional that that looks like that, that that's going to happen. This is going to be something very different. 
This processional proves that Jesus is utterly different and utterly unlike the way the world views power and kingship and authority. You go back to Psalm 118, which we're not going to do. Go back to Zechariah 9, which we're not going to do. And you see that Christ is fulfilling the true definition of what a king is in God's economy and in God's kingdom because he is in direct contrast to how we normally think and function here on planet Earth. Let's talk a little bit about how he's different. So they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to come immediately. But we know now that we've seen the rest of the story that some things had to happen first. What kind of things? Well, he had to go into Jerusalem and suffer. He had to go into Jerusalem and be put on trial. He had to go into Jerusalem and die a sacrificial, difficult, murderous death on the cross. There were some things that this king had to accomplish that were written in the scriptures, like in Isaiah 53, for example. He had to be the suffering servant before he became the glorious, majestic Lord in full display. There was a pattern and a process to this journey that had to unfold. So what's different about this procession is that ultimately it is a humble procession. And it is pointing to his humility. It is pointing to his condescending love that will redeem and rescue. Philippians 2 outlines and patterns this whole movement that he leaves glory and comes down and becomes a human. But not just a human, not just a a person, but, but he humbles himself and becomes a servant and dies. But then later God magnifies him and glorifies him and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Here we have in this procession the unfolding of the qualities of this king. And I wrote some of them down. He's a humble king. He's a submissive king. He's a gentle king. The the scriptures of this procession specifically said humble and gentle and lowly. He's a king who displays brokenness. He is a king who displays weakness. He is a king who is king in all his purity. He is a king who is self-sacrificing. He is a king who is willing to suffer. He is a king who dies. Who steps aside from the throne takes upon himself the wrath of God, and then rises again in glory and power and honor and life and joy. Where are you going with all this, Neil? I'm saying his procession shows us a large bit of the qualities of the kind of king that he is. And he's different. He's very different. One scholar said this, the cross was not a difficult episode on the way to a happy ending. The cross was God's way of standing worldly power on its head. Because what would a worldly king do? A worldly king wouldn't come in like this. And a worldly king wouldn't go down like that. But we find the king of the universe blessed in his procession. As this whole thing unfolds. So when we come to the New Testament, the qualities that he is blessed with are qualities that you and I need. We need these qualities not only for our salvation, but we need these qualities for our sanctification. And we need these qualities for our witness. We too need to go from death to life because the wages of sin are death. And I don't know about you, but I have made a mess of my life trying to be my own king. 
When you're in control, when you sing with Billy Joel like we all do sometimes, I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. <laughs> Go ahead with your own life. Leave me alone. <laughs> when we say that and think like that, we are in direct disobedience in contrast to the one true king. So here's my point. If we want the blessings of the king, that we must relate rightly to the king, and we must by faith be tethered to the king, united to the king by faith, so that the way the king moves and the way the king lives and the way that the king opens up, you and I, connected by faith to him, can have his blessed qualities in us, saving us, rescuing us, taking us too from death to life. So his processional has us tailing behind. His processional has us tethered by faith to him, united by faith to him, so that we can confidently say, because our king lives, we too shall live. Because our king has died, we too can die. But because he lives, we too shall live, and one day we shall be with him in glory, and we shall reign with him. That's God's plan. And we see it unfolding in the processional. So are you by faith tethered to Christ, linked to Christ, united to Christ, in union with Christ? A visual I got back months ago, hiking the Grand Canyon. And I'm in amazement that in the Grand Canyon, down to the bottom and all the way back up to the top, they have these teams of pack mules. And we met one of those teams of pack mules. And here I am struggling to make it just a quarter way down and back up on my own two feet with a stick and with spikes. Casey, you might have done something like this. I don't know. You ask about the spikes. Dangerous terrain. How do they get all the way down there? And how do they come all the way back up? The trail is so tight and so treacherous and so... Dangerous. Well, they have a leader. A cowboy. He looks like Clint Eastwood. And man, he's leading the way. He's the lead pack mule. They got all this stuff, all these sacks and satchels that they're taking down to the base camp and they're bringing back up. I'm thinking, how do they keep from slipping and falling well, for one thing, they've got a quality leader. But the other thing is that they're tethered to their leader and they're tethered to one another. So that the manner in which he goes down, I'm thinking if one of those pack mules slips and falls, the other ten are strong and the leader is strong and they don't all go over, they all help him stay up and stay on the path. How do they go all the way down? Then how do they come back up? (laughs) Again, make the connection with me. They're tethered to the leader and they're tethered to one another. The procession of the king reminds us of the whole journey of Christ and how by faith you and I are tethered to him and he tethers us to one another So that we truly can make it all the way down, even into death, and be brought back up to reign with him. That's a good picture of the story of this whole journey of Christ the King, who's come down to save us and united to him. We can be raised up to eternal life with our King. Now I must move on, but a lot of that is in the processional into Jerusalem that fulfills the plan, that outlines the suffering, but we must move on. He's lastly blessed in his passion. He's blessed in his passion. Now I'm just going to highlight these and mention these, but if you want to know the heart of God, you look at the heart of the king. Look at the heart of King Jesus as he not only enters Jerusalem and its vicinity, but look at his heart as he begins to work in the actions and movements that he has once he gets there. 
In verse 41, he weeps over the city. Christ weeping and grieving and mourning. The rebellion and the condition of humanity refusing to acknowledge him and have him as king. It is painful and it is difficult and it grieves the Holy Spirit for us to not know and have the qualities and the rulership of the king in our lives. He warns them of the impending judgment in verses 42 through 44 that this whole place is going to be leveled. So in AD 70, the Romans are coming in and they're going to level Jerusalem because in God's judgment, God was judging Jerusalem for rejecting Christ as king. God was judging Jerusalem for rejecting Christ as king. And in AD 70, the Romans came in and they leveled everything, including the temple. The only thing left is the wailing wall, which is one reason why it is so significant to the Jews to this day. But then he enters the temple. He casts out the money changers. Why does he need to cleanse the temple? Because the temple was basically run like the mob. Corrupt, greedy, selfish, not at all the kind of place that God had intended for it to be, which was to be a house of prayer for all the nations. Then he's teaching in the temple in verse 47, as he was doing from the very beginning when he said, I must be about my father's business. According to Matthew, during this time, he's healing the blind. He's healing the lame in the temple. Then the priests and the scribes become so indignant and so angry, they begin to open up their plan to murder him. Simply put, I see in all of this the passion of the king. His passion for God, his passion for righteousness, his passion for holiness, and his undying, deep devotion and love for you and me. Because why is all this happening? Two reasons. Because God is severe and God is kind. Behold in this passage both the kindness and the severity of our God. His passion. There's a reason why we call the cross of Christ the passion of Christ. Because it is His glory and His love being put into action for sinners like you and me. And so whether he's weeping or warning or entering or casting out or teaching or healing and making people angry enough to kill him, they are not taking his life from him. He is laying down his life of his own accord because he is king. He's powerful. He's sovereign. This is not all suddenly going bad. He's still in control. So when you and I look at this king and we see how he's blessed in how he prepares, in how he proceeds, and then in his passion, what is our response to this kind of king? And I've said it a thousand times. By nature, we have a king. By nature, we hate the king. But you and I desperately need the king. Because this is the only king of the universe. He is holy and sovereign of all, over all, for all time. And he is the only one who can save us from our own selfish, foolish attempts to run our own lives. So how do you respond to the king? That's a personal question for all of us. But scripture helps. If we were to back up and think about what Jesus says, in verse 42, know the things which make for peace. Know the things which make for peace. Also in verse 42, pray that your eyes might be open. Pray that your eyes might be open. And in verse 44, recognize the time of his visitation. Now is the time to respond to the king. But what are we supposed to do? Here's just four thoughts, and I'll give them to you quickly. Listen to the king. 
in humility and reverence before the Bible and in prayer. Pray that the King would speak to your heart and mind and that your mind would be transformed by Him as you listen to the King. There's a reason I emphasized it happened just as he said it would. The Bible is telling us what is and what has always been and what is going to happen. If I, in rebellion, refuse to submit to these words, I will be in debt to these words, the Bible says. Listen to the king in humility and reverence, kneeling before him. Worship the king. We just sang that. With adoration and praise expressed to him. He is worthy of the very best of our voices and our minds and our gifts and our talents. He is the king. Love the king. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Knowing you're going to fall short of that still. Look at his passion. Look at his glory. Look at who he is and what he's done for us. Devotion to the king by loving the king's people. Devotion to the king by loving the king's people. And then serve the king. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all ways know him and he will guide your paths. Daily trust, daily obedience, using his gifts wisely. Desiring to take his yoke upon us rather than saying, I will not have this king rule over me. No, surrender to his yoke because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. As we relate properly to the king, we will receive the king's blessings. And then we will not only receive them, we will be able to pass these blessings on to others. What are they? The peace he brings with God's self and others, and the glory and the joy he brings as we worship and acknowledge and live for him. We receive his blessings and we give his blessings. This past week, Jake and I played a golf course in North Georgia. Very nice course. So nice they have a guy coming out to your car to get your clubs to take your clubs, put them on the cart, and set you up for a great round of golf. This guy comes to our car. He's really nice. Such a kind, gentle soul. We make small talk, put our clubs on the cart. Jake and I play half a round, <laughs> come back. Same guy. He's getting our clubs off the cart. He's putting them in the back of the car. And I told you last week, I'm going to try to be much more intentional in sharing the gospel. Try not to blend in like everybody else, which is our temptation, but to be salt and light and to shine and to be good stewards of this wonderful news we have of this wonderful king who has died and is raised. And so I pull out one of my helpful cards... <laughs> It's got not just my personal information, but the gospel's on the other side. Romans 6, 23. Wages in death, gift of God, eternal life. What a gift. I hand it to the cart man. He looks down at it and he says, oh, another preacher. <laughs> and as I gave him my card, he says, I too am a pastor. And I said to him and myself, well, I, I knew there was something different about you, you know. And he did. He had a spirit that I felt like was very Christ-like from the very beginning. He said, can I tell you my testimony in brief? I said, absolutely. So you got time? I said, yeah. So while Jake and I are standing there and trunk's still open and he's sitting there on his golf cart, he says... Um, Back in 1989, I was an alcoholic. He says, and I tried to take my own life four different times, four different occasions. He said, but Christ came into my life and invaded my heart and life, and not only did he forgive me, but he changed me. And I'm summing it up at this point, but he gave me a new heart, a new passion, new desire. 
And then he became a pastor. And now he's a pastor at a small church, Oakman, which I guess is part-time pay because here he is being a cart guy. And I left that conversation grateful that God had allowed that conversation to happen. But I thought later on that there I was giving him my card. But there he was giving me his heart, his passion, his story of how Christ the King had come in and changed his life. It is no secret what God can do, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. And not only will he pardon you, but like this man, Mr. Tommy Phillips, who's pastoring this morning, God the King will come in and rule your life, and it will be a blessing of peace and of glory And that rule is available to us every single day. The question is, am I going to deny myself, take up my cross daily, and follow my king and his ways into glory? Let's pray. Father, thank you for just the opportunities you give us daily to worship you, come to know you better, share your love, Help me and help all of us learn to live life under the total submission and total authority to to Christ as King, to the Word as His rule, to His grace as our guide and our strength, to, to heaven's glory as our future. We need lots of work in our hearts and minds to enable us to die to self to submit to you, to be totally ruled by you. Help us to see that the Lord has need of everything that exists, and we are part of that. What a phrase, the Lord has need of it. Lord, you have a purpose for all of us. May we seek first you and your kingdom and let everything else just be added unto us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing, living for Jesus. What a song. It outlines, uh, outlines for us the path of, of following Christ in a daily life. I pray you will sing this and pray this as we come.
Amen. That song is a great compliment to what we were just saying from the scriptures. Uh, it said it a lot better than I did, so I pray that we can uh, live that out in our daily life. I know Catherine mentioned at 5 o'clock today, choir will practice. So if you're in the choir, we'd love to see you back singing uh, and back involved now that we've got our wedding, right, uh, accomplished. We can move on to, to that. So let's, let's continue to minister and, and, and pray in, in those ways. And today at 6, we will continue our marriage series. For those of you who have been coming to that, if you've never been, it's great just to pop in and see what Paul Tripp's saying about marriage and about uh, serving Christ. So if there's anything else, can you think of anything else that we were... Don't forget Ellie Shower at 1 Ellie is for Shower ladies only in the yes. fellowship hall. Catherine calls us in our mm-hmm. benediction. Hope y'all join us for choir. I really figured Neil would make a joke today, but you know, choir is going to be a lot more fun with a moody director. So, all right, let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures. Great week.